0: This book, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom, clarity, insight to see what what we're supposed to see and to take away from it what we're supposed to take away. That our lives would be changed by it continually, even now. That you would break into our lives in a fresh way with a fresh word from this concluding portion of this tremendous book given to John by Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would uh, reflect the glory that is yours uh, in our lives as a result, Father, of this time together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, last book of the Bible Last chapter of the last book of the Bible, and we're in the last section of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. So it should be easy to find quickly, and we do want you to turn there. If you didn't bring a Bible, um, you can use your phone, use a tablet, whatever you have to access God's Word. Now, as you read through Revelation, you need to understand that it's written to people in despair. Okay, first century Christians living underneath the shadow of Rome uh where uh you know you were you were able to recognize any number of gods but to step out and say no there is only one god and i will not call caesar that you're immediately oppressed you're immediately persecuted at the very least if not arrested and thrown in jail or or killed you're maligned you're ridiculed because everybody believes in a plurality of gods you know you The Romans might call it this, and the Greeks call it that, but there's many gods. There's gods of this and gods of that, gods of war, gods of romance, gods of whatever. But Christians are weird. Christians are like, no, you you guys are all idolaters. And so living under the pressure, living in a world that runs in the opposite direction will put you into extra despair. And the reason why I say extra despair is because we all, Christian or not Christian, we have to deal with disease and death We have to deal with job losses, financial difficulties, all the things that everybody, uh, that drives everyone to despair, Christians deal with. And then on top of that, we also have to deal with this uh, sometimes very acute and pronounced kind of persecution by the world that explicitly or implicitly stifles our growth because we're scared to be too Christian in a world that will sneer at us for it. Now, as we look through the book of Revelation, I've tried my best not to turn every sermon into, here's five views. Here's six different ways to take this. And we could have easily done that. I, I tried to minimize that. But I want you to be encouraged that even though there's lots of disagreement with the book of Revelation, all right, about the millennium, about the the nature of the Antichrist, about how to read symbols, what's figurative, what's literal. Is it a real city is, is there, or is it a city of people like I argued for? There's, there's different views with regard to different things about the book of Revelation, but orthodox, straight and true Christians throughout history have all agreed on one major thing, that Jesus Christ is sure to return And the only way you are ready for it, friend, is if you are in Christ. All the things that we cling to because of the despair. Well, what do you distract yourselves with? What do we anesthetize ourselves with? Distracting ourselves from the pain. Like, oh, I've got this difficulty. Vacation. The next thing in my life, maybe if I just hit this career point. Maybe if I just hit retirement whatever it might be, those are flimsy and temporal, and they don't provide hope. The book of Revelation is speaking to people that are in despair, and it's not like, but don't worry about it. God's going to give you a bunch of stuff. It points them to the end, the end of all things that ironically should be the greatest point of despair for anyone who's not a Christian. You think the suffering you're suffering now is, is, is big? It's, it's not. It can't be compared with the final judgment. But then conversely to Christians, you think the thing you're suffering now is weighty? It doesn't compare to the weight of glory. His, the focus of the revelation is to put your attention on how things end, that Christ is going to come. And not just usher in judgment, but usher in perfect peace and bring us into this new earth experience, the Garden 2.0. So no matter what your eschatology is, your view of the end times, all Orthodox Christians understand that core truth that Christ is sure to return. As early as the Apostles' Creed, the earliest confession or creed that churches started reading together and passing and handing out, and then we've read this numerous times in our service It says, and we believe in Jesus Christ. And it says, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. He will come. You cannot come out of the book of Revelation, however you slice it. Is there a tribulation in the end? Are we before it, after it, mid-trib? Is there a secret rapture, a public rapture? I'm not saying those things don't matter. I've addressed a lot of those things, and we'll address a lot of those things tonight, I'm sure. But loss in the shuffle of all those things is sometimes the core truth that we all do agree on. That Jesus Christ will return. And especially when we're in conflict with the world, we're tempted to lose sight of this hope. And we're tempted to lose sight of its sureness. Of its sureness. And this is what the closing section of Revelation drives home repeatedly. As we, as we read this together, I want you to see The repetition of driving home that simple truth. Nothing here about the Antichrist. Nothing here about raptures. Nothing here about great tribulations. There's no horned beasts. There's no weird stuff happening. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. John doesn't want you to finish the book and mainly be thinking about the millennium and which position you're taking. John wants you to close the book and go, man, Christ is coming soon. That's the, that's the driving point that we don't want to miss and, and that John doesn't allow you to miss as we read how he closes this out. The main emphasis of the book, and especially we can call this the epilogue, okay, the back portion of the book. There was a prologue. We got through the body. Now we're in the epilogue of the book, the concluding portion. And as we read this epilogue, we see that the, the emphasis that Christ is sure to come, emphasized at least, we can say, in four sections. Four repeating conclusions, okay, that Christ is sure to come. Let's read through, and then I'm going to point out each of these four reminders that Christ is sure to return. And the first chunk, okay, we can see this conclusion, this epilogue in four chunks, basically. And the first chunk is verses 6 through 7, which says... John writing, and he said to me, this angel that's speaking to him, we're picking up where we left off, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Let me point out a couple things in this brief section here but it begins with this uh, prevalent theme throughout the book of revelation that these words that you're reading these words that you have in your lap are trustworthy and they're true back in 21 verse 5 he wrote write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and he's picking up on that now these words they're trustworthy and true Over and over again, through this book, we hear this emphasized: that the words that come out of Jesus are trustworthy and true. Why? Because, like for instance, 1911, when Jesus comes riding the white horse, he is called what? Faithful and true. If Jesus is faithful and true, then what he says is faithful and true. And if what he says is he's coming to return, then it is a faithful word. It is true that he is coming to return. It doesn't matter what you're experiencing. Or what you're going through in your life. Or how many crazy people you've heard try to nail down a date. Forget those fools. Jesus is going to return. And don't let false teachers, false prophets, cults chip away at your faith in that. Because we don't base our faith in Jesus' words on the trustworthiness of preachers. Amen? Please amen that. Yes. We place our faith and confidence in the one who spoke those words that the messenger is delivering. And if Jesus is trustworthy and true, then what he says is trustworthy and true. And what this is emphasizing in the conclusion is, hey, Jesus said I'm coming soon, and those, that's not a maybe. It means he's coming soon. Now this weird word, God of the spirits and of the prophets, God of the spirits of the prophets, I'm not exactly sure what that means. And as, I, I, as I've explained, you know, through the book of Revelation, there's going to be points where I tell you that. This is one of them. There's a couple of options, though. It could mean the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who inspires the prophets, since the Spirit of the Lord is referred to in the plural. We say Holy Spirit, singular, but book of Revelation takes some liberties, right? Okay? And refers to the Spirit as a sevenfold Spirit, the seven Spirits of God. You're like, who are they? I, that's the Holy Spirit. Okay, and you can refer to sermons that we did in uh, chapter 3, chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. It comes up numerous times. So it could be that spirits, plural, is just channeling that sevenfold spirit, the perfection of God, and that's connected to Zechariah, uh, which I explained in those earlier sermons. So it could just mean God of the spirits of the prophets, meaning the Holy Spirit that drives the prophets to say what they say and if it means that what it's saying is these words are trustworthy and true and even given to prophets like you john because of the ministry of the holy spirit who's in you and prompting you to write these things down the holy spirit was even in charge of taking john away right to show him these great visions the other option is it could mean the spiritual aspect of the human prophets, the spirits of the prophets, small s. We are, we are all body and spirit. And it might mean the prophets throughout all, all the prophets who preached throughout the world, all the prophets who wrote Scripture down, they were driven by the Holy Spirit, yes, but it was through this spiritual side of them, uh, the side of a person that God wields for spiritual gifts. That's why the gifts are called spiritual gifts. We don't operate in them in the flesh. We operate them in the spirit, capital S, yes, but it's our spiritual side of a person. And you can see this, mark this down, look it up later, 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty-two. because I know some of you are like, that's weird. Paul wrote it. I'm not, hey, John wrote it, right? I'm just trying to match scripture with scripture. And we see a very fem, fem, similar phrase in 1 Corinthians 14. But if it means that, it still means prophets aren't doing their ministry in the flesh, Prophets do their ministry as a spiritual exercise, meaning God superintends it and drives home the message that God wants the prophets to drive home. What is the point? Either way, which, whichever of those options, I think it's probably the Holy Spirit, the first option, but whichever way you see it, what we see here is God is superintending what is being communicated to us. And look at how John walks through again the chain of command of how he gets the message. It goes from the Lord to an angel to John to us. And that's how the book of Revelation opened up. John made it very clear. I didn't just have a dream last night and I woke up and scratched things down real fast and threw it into a book and everybody's like, "Man, your dreams are really weird." You ever have a fascinating dream and then you're trying to explain it to someone and it just sounds dumb. It was amazing to you, but you're trying to explain it and it just sounds stupid, right? And and that's how we would take the book of Revelation like, "Dude, you got beasts coming out, like horses don't have serpent tails. Like what are you doing?" How does a locust have a human face or have human hair? That's dumb. He's like, I'm not making this up. The Lord gave it to an angel. An angel gave it to me. I'm writing it down for the churches. So he's reminding us of the chain of command. Why? He's taking the pressure off himself. He's taking the eyeballs off himself, just like I try to do as a preacher, and put your eyes on Jesus Christ. If these are his words and he's trustworthy and true, then it is trustworthy and true That his words, that he's coming back, are to be relied upon. I think this is so important. The sureness of Christ's return. The sureness of Christ's return is not sure because I preach it with some heat. And I preach it with earnestness. And I hope that I do. I do believe it. But it's not my believing it that is to persuade you. All right. right. It is whether it's God's word or not. And one simple way to underscore this in your life, brothers and sisters, is to have your Bible open and check all my words against the Lord's words. Check all my words against the Lord's words. Some of you look at me and look down and you're looking at me and you look down. That's what I'm talking about. A plus right there. Some of you don't open anything up and you just look at me the whole time. I appreciate the respect I'd rather that than come and chat with your neighbor, check your text, the whole sermon. At least you're listening. That's great. But if you're not, I can tell you're not checking me. Now, I don't want the negative spirit of like, I'm going to see if Lucas gets something wrong today. Like, yes, I'm going to get something wrong, right? But it's not depending on what I say. It's depending on what God's word says. So when the preacher, any preacher, not just me, any preacher stands up and says, Today, we're going to be in whatever, Zechariah 14. You may not know where Zechariah is, but look it up. Use the table of contents, Google it, elbow your neighbor, get to Zechariah 14. And when that preacher starts talking, you need to check those preacher's words against what God's word says. Brothers and sisters, because we don't believe in the return of Jesus Christ because preachers keep saying it. We believe in the return of Jesus Christ because if Jesus actually lived and actually died, and actually rose from the dead, then I think what he says matters. Now, if we believe that, and it's true that he said this, then we cling to this. Whatever's happening in the newspapers, whatever maybe weird eschatology we grew up with, what we cling to are the words of Jesus Christ himself. A more important way, that this applies to our lives is to investigate the word of God on your own or in groups outside of just Sunday. If the Bible stays closed and only opens on Sundays, you're living off the preacher's words, aren't you? Feed me, preacher, and then close the book, and then no investigation? No, Imagine you only ate on Sundays. A lot of us would be a lot trimmer. Right? I understand that part. That, that might be a backfired illustration, but we're not going to do that. Right? Even you intermittent fasters jumping on that fat or whatever, you're not, you're not eating just Sundays, right? We don't. That's crazy. You, wh- why would that be crazy? Well, it, it's painful to not eat, first of all. And second of all, I'm not going to have energy to work. <laughs> I'm going to have brain fog. Yes, that's happening to you spiritually when your only diet is feeding on the sermon every Sunday. Please do not depend on me for your diet. I am not God's words. I'm, I'm a servant trying to help, and I, I, I feel John here, right? Where John is like, hey, man, it's, I'm getting this from somewhere else, and I'm trying to deliver it to you. Investigate Scripture because these words are faithful and true. And Scripture is clear all throughout that there will be a final time of judgment and then bliss. I understand those who come to church and they're just coming to church because of some other reason and they're not in yet or they're investigating or you're standing on the outside and you're not sure whether you believe all this stuff. What I don't understand is believers who have a functionally kind of a part-time belief. We believe in certain things, but other things we just kind of, we don't really believe them. We really checked our hearts. And I think the return of the Lord is one of those because it just seems so distant. It just seems so far, and it's, it's, we've been saying it for 2,000 years, and where is it? Does he see my pain? And so we distract ourselves with other things. And we have a long season celebrating the birth of Christ. Well, we know that happened, but we don't have music in the stores, Costco overrun in the aisles with uh, decorations three months in advance of the return of the Lord. We need to love the return of the Lord. Dare I say, more than Christmas. We don't have a final book of the Bible that just talks the birth, the birth, the birth, the birth. Look, we love gifts and we love decorating. That's a lot of it. But the core truth of it, we appreciate that he came to accomplish something. Okay, but what did he come to accomplish? It's not finished yet. It's not done yet. He provided the way, he provided the ark. And we're in a time now where we're inviting people into the ark, but the flood hasn't happened yet. And the new earth on the other side of the flood hasn't happened yet. That's the landing spot. And we need to cling to it and hope in it, trusting that Jesus will usher in his physical, visible return. Some of us struggle to re- remember that Jesus Christ is in the flesh now. Jesus is in his physical resurrected body Now. And that's how he's going to return, a physical, visible, earthly return. It's real. And if we struggle to cling to that, we might want to check our prior beliefs that we say we cling to, whether he ever came at all. But if he did come and he did rise from the dead, that seals it. He is returning. Glory be to God. All right, these other sections will be faster. Second One of the four concluding sections is 8 to 10. 8 to 10. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near john wants to deflect putting too much you know the eyeballs being on him just like i want to do as a preacher and the angel does it too you see that the angel's like hey i'm not jesus i'm also delivering you words from the one who's faithful and true i'm not the one who's faithful and true but you'll notice at the end of that section in verse 10 he follows that up he corrects john attempting to worship him um John is is redirected to worship the Lord appropriately. And he says, do not seal up the words of this prophecy for the time is near. See it again? There it is again. The time is near. He corrects the the bad worship thing. Direct your worship appropriately, just like we've been trying to do, right? Direct your worship to the Lord, your, your attention on God and what he says, not on preachers, not even on angels, and then he gets back to the point in verse 10. Don't seal up these words. Let them out. Give them to the churches. Let's preach them. Let's share it because the time is near. There's not forever to tell people a flood is coming and, we're, and that there's an ark available. We don't have forever to do that. The door will be closed at some point, and now is the time to share it. Why? Because the rain is coming, okay? Channeling the, the Old Testament prefiguring picture of this final judgment. Well, uh, Christ's return is sure, and this text tells us the time is near. Now, I want to take a few minutes. I want to take a few minutes to address a, a, what many see as a major problem here. Maybe you're thinking it, and I feel like it would be pastorally, I would, I would be, it would be uh, a mistake for me to skip past it. But well, many would be looking at words like this, he's coming soon, his return is near. How could these be trustworthy and true words when it says his return is near and this is something he said 2000 years ago? Elephant in the room just named it. Not scared of it. But that's what we think, right? 2000 years? He said soon. He said near again, let me present you with two options that I think are viable. There's different ways that people address this, but I'm going to give you two ones that I think are viable. And actually, I think kind of if you can combine them in a sense that, that depending on the text that you're reading, both are true. The first one is that a lot of Jesus' languages in the Gospels about, hey, this is going to come upon you, this is going to happen real soon. Just a few verses ago when Jesus said, this is, these things are happening soon, I think they, they, it, it's kicked off with the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. There was a several months-long resistance by the Jews to, to Rome. Rome came in, kicked in the door, sacked the temple, destroyed it, lit the whole city on fire, and people are running for the hills. Didn't Jesus talk about that? In that day, you're going to be running for the hills, right? And so a lot of what Jesus was talking about when Jesus says stuff like, this generation is going to see this stuff, that kind of stuff, it's because it got kicked off then. We're just like, oh, the 666 guy. No, 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 not the final thing. Jesus is saying it gets kicked off right on top of the first generation. I'm not even going to be, uh, I'll just be freshly gone, basically, and you guys are going to be experiencing this stuff. So, many Christians argue that much of the return language or the final judgment language is actually in reverence to that event, the uh, Destruction of the temple in 8070. Uh, I think a lot of that's true. Um, some Christians mistakenly take everything about the end times and put it into 8070. I think that's a mistake. I think 8070 is a kickoff. It's a launch. We're still in the game. All right. Are we in halftime? Are we in the first quarter? I don't know. But that was the kickoff. That was the the launch. That was the the tip off. Whatever sport you're thinking of, and then we're we it's it's panning out in cycles as i've tried to explain before and then we see previews of judgment escalating it's kind of like when a movie you're really excited about gives you the first preview what do we call that one a teaser maybe and sometimes it's just a quick shot of the back of a car and then michael j fox lowers his glasses and then it ends and you're like another back to the future it didn't show you storylines. It didn't show you action sequences. Just a real quick glimpse of a couple of iconic things, the car, the shades, Michael J. Fox, and then pff, it, it closes. But then in a couple months, you're going to get a longer trailer. Maybe it's already out. I don't even know. I'm kind of freestyling here, so forgive me. Where it's going to show you a couple scenes. It's going to give you a better idea of what's going on. What's going to be the plot? Where does, does he go back? Does he go to the future? Is he... What's happening here? Is Doc still around? Right. That kind of stuff. And then before you know it, you're going to have the mini movie. Okay? You show up early to a movie now. You get five mini movies before your movie starts. The whole thing is right in front of you. It shows you the bad guy. It shows you betrayals. It spoils plot twist. I'm like, what is going on? I just got five free movies. The closer you get to the date, the bigger the preview, the bigger the trailer. Okay? Now, I think as you read through Revelation and the stuff that Jesus is talking about, some of the things when Jesus says, this is soon, it's right on top of you, it's because it's that initial trailer, the stuff that happened in 8070 70 and even closer, that stuff kicked things off. That was like the first initial trailer. And then we have this escalating stuff. You've got your Hitlers and your your Stalins. Okay, The the world is full of this this history, the history of the world has this timeline that has these escalating uh, sort of previews of the final thing. It's not the full movie yet, but we get trailers throughout. So when Jesus says soon, he might be referring to that first initial beginning of how things are going to kick off. The other option, which I think is also true, and definitely uh, what I hold to at least right now, is the idea that something is soon means that there's nothing left on the calendar. There's nothing left on God's to-do list. He's been checking off these boxes. Some of you have in your kitchen a to-do list, and you get the marker out and you check off the stuff, and there's one final thing left to do, and that's the time we live in. There's one box left to check, and then it's over. Now, back in Daniel, Daniel was told by the angel seal up these words because the time is not yet there's so many things that have to transpire you have to seal these words up we're not ready for these words these words of final judgment and the return of the son of man and all this stuff a lot of what revelation is borrowing from from daniel the angel told daniel close up these words seal up these words and then here he's telling john don't seal these words why should daniel have sealed the words up and then john doesn't because daniel has a few boxes left to check before this stuff is, is as, as relevant to the people as it's intended to be. Jesus has to come and be born. He has to live a perfect life. He has to experience the suffering of the passion. He has to experience death. He has to be raised from the dead. He has to establish and fortify the disciples after his death. And then he has to ascend and send the Holy Spirit. And then the church age has to begin. That's, a, that's a, a lot of boxes that got checked kind of in a quick fashion, but those had to be checked first. Now, what's next? What's next? This is the issue I have with the timelines and charts that have 15 boxes still left to check before Jesus returns. I think the next thing is Jesus' return. That's next. And in that sense, it's soon. How soon? I don't know, but it's next. You don't have time for anything else. It could be this generation, the next generation. I'm not sure. We don't have a date. What we do have for sure is that the next thing on God's agenda is this. And you're either ready or you're not. I think by soon, he doesn't mean by American standards where we're like, what took you so long? So long according to who? If the dude you're waiting for was from another country, he might be perfectly in time. You know, if you're from Germany, right? Right? And the person you're waiting from is from Africa. That's yeah, a little bit stereotypical, but I find it to be broadly true. Different cultures view time in different ways. So when you see soon, is that American eyes, German eyes, African eyes? How are you reading soon? Now, if within cultures we have such a disparate view of what near or soon means, now we're trying to think about what does God mean by soon? So I don't think we should be tempted to go, he said soon, and it's been 2,000 years Therefore, he took too long for these to be trustworthy and true. That would be a deadly mistake. A deadly mistake. Noah was mocked. I don't see rain. I don't even see clouds, bro. And then they died. Not all of them, some of them. And then they were saved. And their belief and hope in what Noah was saying the whole time was confirmed. I think that's what we, how we are to take near Last little side note, and then I'll press through the others with a little bit of a faster pace, but I think this is important. It seems to me that the return of Christ is probably not any second. That's how I grew up. Any second might be while you're brushing your teeth. Right now, before we go to lunch, I'm not sure I'm there anymore. I'm not sure I'm there anymore. Uh, Pre-mills, who are also pre-tribulation, and if that doesn't make sense to you, come on out tonight, dump a question in the thing, and I'll try to explain that. They believe that. And that's what a lot of us grew up with. It's, it's any second because the next thing on the agenda is a secret rapture where we get zapped up and then the whole world starts falling apart, right? That's the next thing on the agenda and that can happen any second. But I think the next thing on the agenda is just his return, period. I think the rapture, return, reign, all of it, the final battle is all in one shot. And I can explain more of that tonight if you like. But, but, and they could be right. I could be wrong. That's not something you want to gamble with. When I start seeing signs? Then I'll get serious. Man, you could be in a car accident today. Let's not forget our own frailty and mortality. But I believe there's, there's going to be a ramping up of worldwide persecution before the return. I think that's going to happen before the return. But how long would that take? I believe that ramping up can happen really, really fast. Let me ask you, I know this is, stepping into controversial territory, but how long did it take for the world to shut down due to a virus? How fast was that? We're just enjoying our lives. Nobody's wearing masks. We're not even thinking about stuff, right? And how long did it take for pastors to be arrested for having church? I mean, that was really fast. In places where they were not arresting pastors, Suddenly your pastor's in jail. I mean, it happened like that. So how long would it take for a world-scale assault on the church? Not long. Could it be this generation? Yeah. I, I do not want to underestimate Satan being loosed from his chains. The leash lengthened how fast he can get to work. Things are getting prepped now. And at the very least, we saw how it could happen. We saw a little preview of how it could happen, whatever you think about the virus, I don't care what you think about the virus or vaccines, you saw how fast things can happen. Is it any second? I wouldn't say any second. Could it be this generation? I think so. I think it can happen fast. All right, two more sections real quickly. 11 to 12 is a short one. Again, emphasizing the return of Jesus Christ. Let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. That's kind of a weird way to put it. Let the evildoer still do evil, let the filthy still be filthy, and let the righteous still do right. Almost like, go ahead, evildoer, keep doing your evil. Good for you, or bad for you, however you want to put it. You do you. And then the righteous... Y'all do what y'all want to do, which is apparently righteous things. Everyone's just going to do whatever. That would contradict the entire Bible, let alone the entire book of Revelation. Just everybody, whatever. I mean, it's full of warnings. Get in the ark, right? I think what's happening here is a couple different uses of the word let. Okay? The first use of the word, let the evildoer uh, still do evil, let the filthy be evil, is, is sort of... Permission, like, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do, and that's them. But you righteous people, that let is exhortation. But let the righteous keep doing righteous things. Let the holy people do holy things. Let those who are faithful persist in faithfulness. There's always going to be the outside group. But if you're in the inside group, be the inside group and live righteously. This is why you interpret Scripture with other Scripture because reading it as God permitting evil doesn't make any sense at all. But if he's saying there's always going to be the outside group but you be the inside group, then it makes perfect sense and matches perfectly with the entire book of Revelation. And how does he follow it up? Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. There it is again. And then the fourth one is a bigger chunk, 13 to 20. Verses 13 to 20. Look at that with me. And we're not going to get to the emphasis until about verse 20, but let's start at verse 13. Jesus establishing himself through the angel to John. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And just in case his readers weren't familiar with the Greek alphabet, he means the first and the last. A through Z. I'm all of it. The beginning and the end. I started this thing, and I'm going to finish this thing, right? Satan doesn't win. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then Satan came in and ruined it, and Jesus just gets away with rescuing a few people, but everything else remains cursed. Now, he he rescues the earth too, and he will do it, securing it, not by bowing his knee to Satan, who's the ruler of all things, but by conquering Satan in the cross. So he is the beginning has the, and the end. He started this redemption plan. He's going to finish this redemption plan. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. We talked about that before. And they may enter the city by the gates. Outside, Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches I am the root and the descendant of David the bright morning star the spirit and the bride say come and let everyone let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come let the one who desires take the water of life without price I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this the prophecy of this book If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, here we see a recap of of who is in and who is out, those who come to the Lord for satisfaction, those who recognize their thirst and they come to the Lord for perfect, satisfying drink, salvation, those who receive Jesus' invitation to come. And then you also have those who don't receive that invitation. They, They love and practice falsehood, the text says, verse 15. They love and practice falsehood, Because they do not love and cling to what is trustworthy and true. Right? We're talking about clinging to Jesus' words are trustworthy and true. And the people that go, that's not trustworthy and true. You know what's true to me? Cash. You know what's true to me? My job. You know what's true to me? My family. That's what's true to me. You love falsehood, friend. This is what's true. And the truth that you see in any of those other things are subservient to this truth the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is over and before all things. And so this warning is to those on the outside that plagues will be added to you if you add or if you take away or if you're like, I like the Gospels, I just don't like the book of Revelation. I like the Jesus uh, healing people stuff. I just hate the judgment stuff. You're taking away from Scripture and these plagues... That you see described in the book of Revelation, that's talking about you. But on the other hand, on the other hand, if you're sitting there going, well, then how do I cross over? Come. Come. What do I have to pay? It's been paid. It's been paid. That's amazing. You don't have to earn your way into it. You don't have to buy your way into it. Actually, you can't do any of those things, right? The only way to do it is through Jesus Christ. It's available to you now. But those those who accept the Lord's invitation to come, and I love this, those who accept the Lord's invitation to come will in turn live a life of hope that now cries out for Jesus to come. We're the ones that long for him to come. If we're not in Christ, we don't want him to come. We better hope it's not true. But if it is true, he's going to return and make things right. If we're on the outside, we end up on the wrong side of that. We're not hoping for that. But if we're on the inside and we've, exp- we've taken Jesus up on his invitation to come, then we live a life that longs toward the Lord and asking him to come and bring in the end. We respond to his assurance, surely I am coming soon, we respond with, amen, come, Lord Jesus. And I don't want you to walk away from here without understanding the effect of this in your life. If you truly cling to Jesus, return as a point of clear, sure hope. If Jesus' return is sure, how does that affect our lives? It affects our lives by persistence in holiness. It affects our lives by persistence in faithfulness to the lord and you see this everywhere that the return was emphasized we see holiness emphasized and we'll just do this fast look back up in six and seven remember in seven i'm coming soon how does he follow that up blesses the one who keeps these words i'm coming soon keep my words you see that emphasis again when John is tempted to worship the angel and the angel doesn't say, no, 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 this isn't about worship. No, it is about worship, but don't worship me. Worship who? Worship God. Worship God. And take this prophecy and give it to the people. Don't seal it because the time is near. So worship God. The time is near. And one verse away from each other again. And then in verse 11, he talks about the righteous still doing what's right and the holy, still being holy. Don't start and then you drop off. Times got tough, Jesus took too long, church got boring, whatever the things are that kind of tempt us to kind of start checking out, still be holy, still be righteous, still do what's right. Why? Verse 12, because Jesus says, I'm coming soon and I'm bringing my recompense with me, repaying each one for what they did. Not just the bad stuff, which is true, recompense could be negative, right because of damages or recompense can mean the the wage that you get because of a service that you render so recompense doesn't just mean here's the punishment you did bad it's here's the reward you did well and there's that side too even the last book of the depressing sounding book of ecclesiastes ends with that god sees all things every evil thing and every good thing and we focus on the evil thing oh my goodness he even sees my thoughts yeah he sees the good thoughts too though And as the Lord transforms you from the inside out and you start producing holiness in your life, did God do that work in you? Yes. Does he reward you for it anyway? Yes. It's kind of like the parent, which I guess I don't normally do it, but it's like do your chores and then they do the chore and then you reward them. Right? You take them out and you're like, get anything you want. And you're like, but that's what I had to do. That's what Jesus does. He tells us what we have to do. He empowers us to do it and then he rewards us for it. That's amazing. That's the side you want to be on. That's what the hope in the Lord's return is supposed to do is pr- produce holiness in us. In verse 13, blessed are those who wash their robes, reminding us, how do you get holiness? How do you live a life where you're living for righteousness? Well, it's not birthed from a place of, I'm going to do it now. I heard that sermon. We've been through the book of Revelation. We're doing it. Let's go. I'm in. Let's go. Play the music curate a Spotify playlist to get you going and you get your headphones on, you're going to motivate yourself, that lasts three seconds. The way it's birth is not coming to Jesus going, check this out, I've got this new plan. It's coming to Jesus and going, I'm thirsty and parched because I cannot get satisfaction anywhere except in you. I need you to be my shepherd. Blessed are those who wash their robes not in their own good works. You wash your robes in the cleansing that is only available in Jesus Christ. That's why he says, come and take the water of life without price. Ben just recently preached on this from Isaiah. Come and take the water of life without price. Without price, not because it's free, without price because it was already paid for. And that was paid by the cross of Jesus Christ then final section in 18 to 20 it kicks off right there in 18, right? What does he expect of us because he's coming soon? Well, verse 20 says, surely I'm coming soon. But 18 to 20, it talks about adding to the book or taking away from the book. And don't, don't add to it or take away from it, which is another way of saying, listen to my words as they are and do what I say. Some of us do less than what God says. Some of us do, God, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and this and this and this. Aren't I awesome? You're still not drinking the water that Christ provides. You're still coming. That's a place of thirst. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Listen to what God says and live into that. Why? Because it's verse 20. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. That's why. And that's what motivates us. And then the final line of the book, the final line of the book, verse 21. Verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now it's easy for us to go, oh, that's a closing. It sounds like the closing to a letter, right? Like a lot of Paul's letters, it's it's a way to sign off. It's kind of like when you sign off sincerely, Lucas O'Neill. And we just don't really pay attention to that because it's so customary. We're like, hmm, were his other letters insincere? That's strange. He said sincerely, Lucas O'Neill. You probably didn't even think about it. You probably have an automated thing in your email to sign off the same way so you don't have to type it every time, and it's just automatic. But this is still Scripture, and this is still God's holy-inspired Word. It's not just a closing, and it does make this feel more like a letter. We started with seven letters to the seven churches. This is delivered to real people in real time, in real life, experiencing real pain, and this was a letter to them, essentially. And we can appreciate that, but we can also lose sight Of the tremendous theology that is in that final line we don't want the power of this line to get lost in the fact that it's a typical letter closer what it means is that without the grace of Christ we will not persist in faithfulness to him but by the grace of Christ in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ if it's with us then we can listen to the words of this book And live accordingly. We can have fun debates about the millennium. We can have fun talking about tribulation. But at the end of the day, we can link arms and affirm each other's faith that this world will not always be as it is. There is an end coming. And we need to do our best to make sure that our lives look like we believe that. Jesus is returning. And he's bringing a big bag of recompense. And for those who are on the inside, it's a a bag of reward for those who persisted in faithfulness and didn't give up. Those who endured all the way to the end. And the many challenges that enter your life, brother and sister, the challenges that enter your life are there to see if you are fickle or faithful. We all experience challenges, but those of us who lean on God's grace to get us through. We'll make it to the end. And he is faithful to do it. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for not only giving us a challenge to follow you and to be faithful, but giving us the way to do it, giving us the ability to do it by the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't want to leave here committed to our own strengths, we want to live here drinking deeply from the well that is provided by Jesus Christ. That our full satisfaction is in his work on our behalf. And that as we drink and we feel that spiritual hydration, we're we, we energized to get to work. Not to earn salvation, but because we're saved. Not to gain favor with you, but because you've set your favor on us. And we ask for the strength and the fortitude it will take to withstand any level of temptation, any level of judgment previews before the end, any level of persecution, any kind of discomfort we might experience in this life, the regular discomforts that everyone gets and especially the ones that we get because we're followers of Christ. We pray that by your grace you'll get us through, Lord. We close in this song reminding us of who you are and what you've granted us.